Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we're going to look into how to be more successful in an orchestral career. Although I may not be a member of one of the world's biggest orchestras, I do feel like I have some things to share about what I've learned during my time as an orchestral musician. I've had some amazing training during my undergraduate and graduate years to help prepare me, as well as some opportunities to go to some great summer festivals. Beyond that, though, since you're listening to my podcast, I'm going to go ahead and pretend that you care a lot about what I have to say. For me, the orchestral road has been interesting. I've made it no secret that when I was younger, like many other aspiring musicians, I dreamed of being in one of the top orchestras in the country. However, the more time that has passed, I've realized a few things. First, the quality of orchestras that aren't necessarily in the, quote, big five is still pretty amazing. I've been a part of concerts in Alabama, Indianapolis, and a few other places where I've subbed that have been very rewarding to be a part of. I've learned that there's just exceptional quality all over the place. I've also noticed that there have been countless interviews about strategies people have used to be successful in winning an orchestral audition. The series Winning the Job on my own podcast is solely dedicated to that topic. But what about when you actually get the job? Obviously, people have found ways to be successful in getting tenure and sounding great week in and week out, but I haven't seen as many interviews about specific strategies or ideas on how to be successful in the day-to-day operations of an orchestral job. Well, that's what we are going to cover. In this episode, I'm going to discuss three general areas of orchestral playing that I think are important to consider for having longevity in your orchestral career. For the sake of clarification, these areas I will discuss in this episode are things I feel are not often talked about. I'm going to assume that most everyone understands that the biggest key to your success in an orchestral job is just being prepared. But my guess is that if you are able to win an orchestral audition, you have a pretty good idea of the kind of work that goes into being prepared. These general areas, as I called them, are things that I have noticed that exist on top of all of that. In an effort to make things entertaining as well, I was able to develop some alliteration with these categories. The categories are flexibility, focus, and fun. The title of this episode is The Three F's of Orchestral Success. The first F we're going to cover is flexibility. Flexibility can cover a number of aspects related to having a job in an orchestra. Flexibility within your own playing is very important to providing ease of production. This kind of flexibility is one that most everybody is familiar with, and I would guess this is what came to mind when most of you heard that word. But let's look at a person who is a section player in an orchestra. Not only do they need ease of production within their own playing, but they need to be able to be flexible enough to change their concept and their playing to fit whatever their principal player is doing. 
It's not enough just to play the notes and hope that they line up. You have to be an extension of the principal player. This is best developed by playing with others and doing your best to match everything that they are doing. Things like articulation, dynamics, tempo, and breathing. You may come to the first rehearsal with your own ideas about what the style should be, but if your principal player is doing something differently, you need to be flexible enough to adapt. As a principal player, I need to demonstrate flexibility by being aware of what other principal players in the orchestra are doing. If I have the same phrase as the principal oboe, but they play it first, it would probably be a good idea for me to pay attention and to try to play it that way. Of course, I could approach that person and we could talk about how to interpret it, but it's just easier if I am flexible and I pay attention. Even if it isn't a solo, I still need to be aware and ready to adapt. I've learned in styles like Beethoven, doing my best to match note lengths with the woodwinds or the strings to show that I am aware that their part can be the main focus of the music at that point has been invaluable. If I notice that we are different and I'm flexible enough in my playing and my approach to match them, it makes it easier for everyone. This is actually something I'm working on right now and where I have found score study to be the most beneficial. If I look at a score and I see that the woodwinds are leading a line and I have a supporting line, if I have done my homework and I know for sure that things like note length should be the same, then as long as I'm doing it the same as them, I can play with confidence. I also get to learn how other musicians interpret various note lengths and articulations, which makes me better off in the long run as well. The biggest way every orchestral musician needs to be flexible, though, is to make sure they are flexible enough to be able to do what the conductor asks for. Everyone knows that the conductor is the boss, and if they ask you to change the way you are interpreting something and you can't do it, that's not going to bode well for you. We cannot prepare our music in such a way that we are only able to perform it, quote, our way. So how do we develop this kind of flexibility? In my opinion, it all stems from fundamentals. If you can play with an even sound in all ranges and dynamics, you will have less of a problem when the conductor asks you to play softer, but with the same amount of intensity. If you are able to play confidently with any articulation you want, adjusting to meet the interpretation of other musicians in the ensemble should be no problem. Developing your playing in this way may be challenging, but it really is a very worthy cause. Not only will your colleagues appreciate you for your sensitivity, but your life will just be easier. So take ownership of your playing and make sure that you are working to establish great fundamentals and developing flexibility in your approach. It's an important first step in ensuring your success as an orchestral musician. The next F we will cover is focus. Focus is an interesting thing I've learned about in my short career playing in an orchestra. If you asked me what is the most difficult part about playing in a professional orchestra when I was 18, I would bet a lot of money I would have said something like playing the music or learning the music, something to do with how difficult the repertoire was. And I think for many instrument groups, that's actually true. But in my experience, performing the repertoire is not the most difficult part of playing in a professional orchestra. For me, the hardest part 
is maintaining the amount of focus it takes to play at my highest level for the length of a rehearsal or a concert. It's not about playing a hard lick and feeling good that I nailed it. It's about preserving the standard at which I know that I can play. And not just on one concert, preserving it for every rehearsal, every concert, week in and week out over the course of an entire season. Playing in an orchestra may not be as physically taxing as something like construction, but mentally, it's exhausting. I remember one performance we did of the Der Rosen Cavalier Suite at the beginning of my second year with the Alabama Symphony. There's a soft trumpet solo near the beginning of the piece, and I kind of messed it up on one of the nights. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't as great as I would have liked it to be. My reaction to that was to double down on the rest of the piece and to work to make up for my transgressions in the form of some missed notes. The trio section of that piece provides numerous opportunities to sing your heart out and leave it all out on the table, so that's what I did. I'll leave a link to an amazing performance of it that Carlos Kleiber conducts in the blog post for this episode. At the end of the concert, I realized two things. The first was that it felt like I needed about two minutes to just recharge. I felt so exhausted, but I hadn't really done any physical work. I think I was just so focused on what I wanted to do musically that my brain was shot at the end. That sensation led to the second realization. Why don't I feel like this after every concert? Granted, it will probably be difficult to feel that way after playing something like Beethoven's first symphony for the trumpet, but it seems strange that I rarely feel that way. Is that indicative of the fact that I'm not giving 100% of my heart and soul to every performance? Honestly, yeah, that's probably true. And that's what I mean about focus. When I messed up that solo, I doubled down on my efforts to be focused on playing beautiful music, and those efforts floored me. That's great on one concert, but to come back and do it the next night? To be able to work to reproduce that level of focus and intensity the next week on completely different material? For me, that's where the difficulty lies in being a professional musician. All right, now that I've painted that picture, let me hit you with some good news. The really, really good news is that just like any other skill you want to improve upon, focus can be improved upon too. Wherever your current level of focus is, it's no problem. We just need to find a way to practice being focused. To me, that means trying to be engaged while playing. I notice that sometimes when I practice, I let my guard down and I end up being pretty casual about the things that I'm playing. I'm not sitting forward, my brow probably isn't furrowed, and my mind is definitely not 100% engaged with what I'm practicing. This is a total missed opportunity for me because the saying, we are what we practice, is very true. How would you ever be able to focus during a concert if you don't practice that way? Our goal should not be to turn on some special switch in a concert and to be able to do something magically better than what we've done in our practice room. Our goal should be to reproduce what we practice in the practice room in the concert. So in your own practice and rehearsals, pay attention. Ask yourself, am I engaged in what I'm doing? I get it. There are all sorts of reasons we could let our minds wander, but if you want to be successful at a high level in an orchestra, 
working to develop your focus muscles should be a priority for you. Third and final F to orchestral success is fun. Now, I didn't choose the word fun because it was the best word to describe what this section is about. I chose the word fun because it starts with the letter F. My podcast, my rules. To an extent, though, fun does portray what we're going to discuss. It's just not a totally complete explanation. Stay with me. I promise it will make sense. When we hear the word fun... Oftentimes, the connotation is that of something not being serious. Like when kids play, they are having fun. Another example would be that it's fun to go to the beach. It's also fun to drink booze during the day. You know what's not always that fun? Being disciplined. (laughs) Sitting in a room by yourself and working on scales, etudes, and repertoire. But we all do it because we know it's necessary for improvement. My problem with what I've observed playing in a professional orchestra is that the serious nature that follows the discipline needed to progress and be successful as a musician seems to follow many people into the job. All of a sudden, everything is serious. I've played a fair amount of concerts and orchestras at the professional level, and I rarely see people that look like they had fun when they finished a concert. Many times, the only thing it seems like people are concerned with is how many notes they missed or how they wish they could go do some things over again. Now, I've certainly felt that way myself, but I also try to remember to give myself some space and say, that was fun. I enjoyed playing that concert. No, it's not all about me. The music and the audience are far more important than I am. But I had fun. That's why we all started playing instruments in the first place, right? When I was in fifth grade, I remember picking up a trumpet, playing really loudly, and thinking, this is awesome. (laughs) It was fun. But then after some time, you might decide you're going to pursue instrumental studies in school, and then you're introduced to all of the hard work it takes to succeed. If you manage to make it past that point, and you're fortunate enough to get to the point where you have employment, Congratulations, you're now being paid money to make music. Your fifth grade self would be blown away that you could be making a living doing this thing they considered to be fun. To wrap it up into a concise thought, it's okay to let yourself have fun. We should absolutely work hard to learn as much as we can so we can provide informed, exciting concerts. The audience, and more importantly, the music deserves it. But if it's not fun, putting in all those hours to get there is going to be exponentially more difficult. Now, as I've thought through this part of the episode and I've talked with other musicians that I trust about their thoughts, I've come to realize that fun doesn't fully cover what this is all about. So I'd like to add an... And that word is joy. Here's why. The definition of the word fun is enjoyment, amusement, or lighthearted pleasure. Even the sample sentence given by the dictionary on Google says, the children were having fun in the play area. This clearly doesn't convey the kind of importance that our work in an orchestra entails. The word joy, however, is defined as a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. 
The sample sentence from the same dictionary is tears of joy. That sounds more like what we do. We all might start playing an instrument because it is fun, but ultimately our goal should be the pursuit of joy. Many of the people I've interviewed talk about how music brings them great joy. They talk about how they love music and they can't imagine it not being a part of their lives. Well, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm not sure if I'm one of those people. I think I work to have an orchestral career for reasons outside of a love of music. There's no doubt I get a rush when I'm playing great brass music with a great brass section, but a love of music in general, I'm not sure I have that. So in an effort to pursue joy, I've started paying attention to what these people have said, and I'm gonna share with you my strategy for finding more joy in my playing. In my podcast episode with Barbara Butler, she said to me, I have such great joy when I play concerts. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But I followed up with the question, do you really have joy on every concert? That idea sort of seemed impossible to me, but her answer was inspiring. She essentially said she makes a conscious choice to remain engaged and look for the beauty in the music that's being played. She's not on her phone. She's looking at a score. She's watching the strings and listening to their phrasing. She's actively participating in finding joy around her. That is something I do not do that I'm going to start doing immediately. In a different episode, Demondre Thurman spoke to me about his love of music and how it has grown exponentially as he has researched about composers, studied scores, and lived with the works of music for a long time. That's another change I can make right away. Now, there are other prominent musicians I've spoken with that don't do score study, and they have been incredibly successful, so it's clearly not mandatory for success, but for me, digging into the score and broadening my perspective might be a big first step in developing love, appreciation, and joy for the pieces of music I'm performing. If I know what's going on all around me, it should be easier to stay engaged in the pursuit of finding joy. If you are someone that loves music and can't imagine doing anything else, that's awesome. Protect that. Share it with everyone. If you are someone like me and you're not sure if you have a love for music, but you find it fun to play your instrument, dig around. I guarantee there is joy to be found for you. Try to surround yourself with people who love it. And finally, if you're someone who isn't sure if they love music and playing an instrument is not very fun for you, you have a lot of work to do. Any career in music is a hard road to follow, and you'll be competing against people who have motivations that will keep them burning the midnight oil to reach that success. I'm not saying it's not possible, but now is the time to figure it out. One of the biggest struggles I've faced being a part of the orchestral world has been learning what this profession actually is. When I was in college, I had a very romanticized idea about what playing in an orchestra would be like. And the experiences I've had, my idea was wrong. It's not a problem with the orchestras I've played with. The problem lies with me and my expectations. 
I've since learned a lot. And to close this episode out, I would like to read a quote that really sums up how I feel about my time in the orchestral world and what I've learned. This was written by Brenton Smith, who is the principal cellist of the Houston Symphony, and he also teaches at Rice University. When I asked him if I could use this quote, he said, sure, as long as you mention that I learned these ideas from my teacher, Zara Nelsova, who embodied them word and deed. Here is what he wrote. I have been almost as lucky as you can be in this business. I've had countless disappointments, of course, some deserved, some not. That is the nature of the business. But I have a good job, a happy reputation, a balance between solo, chamber, orchestral playing, and teaching, the good fortune to be friends and colleagues with some of the musicians I admire most in the world, and the respect of some of the peers that I care the most about. I've had the chance to travel, play concerts, enjoy the camaraderie, and live some of the enviable life. I haven't had everything, but I've had as much as I dare ask for a life in music. I have been very lucky, and you will be very fortunate if you are as lucky as I have been. And I'm telling you that even if you get all that, even if you get all that and more, it isn't enough. It will ultimately feel hollow. In the end, concerts are just concerts. Victories are fleeting, fame is shallow, and easy praise dulls the senses. Dark moments will come, and your life in music, no matter how successful, will be empty unless it is about something greater than your career. You must protect your belief that the music is part of something greater than yourself, greater than any of us. You have to keep studying and improving and trying to understand more deeply. Believe in yourself, but believe also that you can do better, not just in a technical sense, but more beauty, more insight, more heartbreak, more music. As Mr. Heifetz said, there is no top. There are always further heights to reach. We have never before had so many musicians of amazing proficiency, and yet it is rare to hear someone make truly beautiful music. Whatever you do, whatever comes of your life in music, no matter how celebrated or ignored your role is, you must know why you have chosen to spend your life on this. As you face the harsh and humiliating aspects of our industry, you must protect your belief in yourself and in music and what it means. We live in the world of the automatic standing ovation where praise is lavish and indiscriminate and criticism is suspect. But in your internal world, you must believe in a right and a wrong way and that it matters. Make your life about something more than your job, your reputation, or your ego. Be an example of what a musician should be. The moments of greatest happiness for me have ultimately not been some career milestone, but the moments when I learned something new and when I got one step closer to the unattainable. Love the details, know that they matter, even if they don't change your career, and never stop learning. This is not an easy path, but it is the only way to a meaningful life in music. My wish for all of you 
is that music will mean more to you at 60 than it did at 16, and that you will know the joy of humility, love, and service to the most profound art I know in our world. I think that's gonna be all for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search at Ryan Beach Trumpet or at That's Not Spit. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes on the podcast, let me know by leaving a rating or a review on iTunes. I'd like to thank both Brett Bellamy and Brenton Smith for letting me use music of theirs on this podcast episode. Brett's track titled Cold was used between the sections and Brenton allowed me to use some of the music he has recorded on an album underneath the quote I borrowed from him. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most importantly, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.